You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you, you just, just want to ask your mom. mom. Hey, welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Renee Sproles. And I'm Bonnie Blaylock. Well, if you've listened to our podcast for any length of time, you know that I love food. I love to cook, I love to eat, and most of all, I love to feed people. So in this final episode of our home series, we're going to talk about the relationship between our homes and food. So get ready. <laughs> Rory Shiner at the Gospel Coalition wrote in 2019 series on a biblical theology of food and eating. And he says, the Bible begins and ends with meals. The first words of God to humans, if you think about it, are an invitation to eat. The first conflict in the Bible is over a forbidden meal. The last act of Jesus before his death is to share a meaning laden feast with his disciples. And the final vision of the new world is of a massive joyful banquet. I love that. that neat how it just... Frames it, the whole. It really set of does. Scripture. So, no figure in the Bible, he says, is more associated with food than its central character, Jesus. His first miracle was in response to a catering crisis at a wedding. The couple had run out of wine. So, he turned 450 liters of water into the best wine the guests had ever tasted. Mm-hmm. And throughout his life, Jesus seemed to spend a disproportionate amount of time at dinner parties winning a bad reputation for him as a drunkard, a glutton, and a friend of the wrong sort of people. He did a lot of that teaching as a, as a dinner party guest, but on at least three occasions, he turned into host and caterer himself, providing miraculous quantities of wine, fish, and bread. And after his resurrection, it was an interesting demonstration, I thought, where he cooked a breakfast of fish over hot coals for his disciples, so he's still eating. And at another post-resurrection incident, his friends only clicked as to who he was when he broke bread and shared it with them at the table. Yeah. And then we eat a meal in memory of him every time we have the Lord's Supper. So Jesus believed in the power of shared meals. Feasts and food focus the full range of human experience, joy and fellowship, awkwardness and conflict, hope and longing, loneliness and sorrow, fullness and regret. Amen to that. Who knew that food held so much meaning? <laughs> well, you did, Renee. I you do. Did. I do. I do. I'm, I'm getting, this is like near and dear to my heart. I'm getting so excited here. All right. Well, there's lots of places we're going to go today with this topic, but let's start with home cooking, Bonnie. Okay. Well, at a minimum, home cooking requires meal prep and food preparation skills. You got to have kitchen equipment. You got to have some time and money to shop for ingredients and a little bit more time to transform that collection of food ingredients into a meal that your family will enjoy. Not to mention the cleanup afterwards. That's right. My kids used to say, when they would be staring at the pantry looking for something to eat. We don't have anything to eat. All we have is ingredients. <laughs> that's actually really perceptive. I'm like, well, that's how you get the food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is really something that's changed in our culture through the years. We, we've changed from eating a lot of our meals at home to eating fewer and fewer mm -hmm. at home, or at least fewer that are prepared at home. So uh, what's the significance of doing this. And just to clarify, little caveat here, cooking is not a moral issue. Right, Bonnie? That's right. That's right. <laughs> 
Although sometimes you <laughs> you might make it feel like it is, but it isn't. If you can barely manage a bowl of cereal or work the toaster, you are not defective or sinning in any way. I am sure there are many other ways you support your family on a daily basis. Yep. Totally fine. And in some families, the dad loves to cook and prepare meals. So Yeah, my brother does this. And my brother too. Yeah. It's, so it's not it's more than just the king of the grill mentality. Oh, yeah. Like they can actually make some serious yeah. meals. He had me over for the best lasagna I've put in my mouth. Sorry, mom. Oh, I hope you nice. don't listen to this one. It was so good. There I was go. really impressed. And he made this beautiful lemon meringue pie. So we're not stereotyping and saying this is like a women have to stay in the kitchen kind of right kind of deal. It's just the statistics bear out that most of us are doing this. The majority of us are doing this when we're dividing household chores. This one falls to us a lot of times. Well, whether because we like it or yeah. we're good at it or yeah, whatever. for whatever reason. So let's talk about it. What if you do hate to cook meals and they still fall under your responsibility? Well, there's a few things you can do. Mm-hmm. Well, you can tell yourself the truth that doing things for your family when you don't enjoy it is still loving them well. It's that sacrificial kind of love that is just like Jesus's love for us. Yeah. So take yeah. credit for that. Absolutely. You know, I've said yeah. this before that I was telling myself what a bad mom I was because I didn't like to get up in the night with my baby. And my therapist was like, well, you could actually tell yourself you're a good mom because <laughs> you're doing it. Right. And it's actually harder for you than some people. Right. So do that. That's an extra dose of love. That really did transform my way of thinking. It's, and it, and it's as you can see, it's trickled into other areas. Sure, yeah. All right. Another thing you can do is just keep it simple. As much as I love to cook, there was a season in life when I just needed to be cooking 30-minute meals, not elaborate ones. And that wasn't as fun for me. It kind of made me a little bit sad inside. <laughs> but I just knew it was for a season, and this was how we were going to still be able to eat at home. Uh, a majority of the time. Right. Yeah. You don't have to go get the most expensive cut of meat. You don't have mm -hmm. to spend three hours in the afternoon preparing it. A lot of us just can't do that. Right. So totally fine. Lay that expectation aside. Right. Turn it, turn the dial down a little bit. Okay. And then the third thing is just plan ahead, which was my downfall because I would procrastinate and get busy with my day and then four o'clock hits and I'm staring at the refrigerator going, oh no. Yeah. We could we have some dinner around here and I don't know how to have that. It's not a good feeling. Yeah. It's not a good feeling at all. So if you just take 30 minutes to an hour to prep for a week's worth of meals, mm -hmm. you will save yourself the temptation of ordering out. None of us is immune to it. I do it too, moms. Yeah. <laughs> if I haven't prepped, uh, five o'clock comes and I look at David and he's like, Uber Eats. Right. DoorDash. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that sounds really tempting. Okay. Yeah. All right. So what? let's just tell them what we did, Bonnie, um, for meal prepping. Uh, one thing I did was I just kept a running list of family faves. So um, put it on the list was a sure sign that the kids or David wanted to have that meal again and again. And I also shopped one to two weeks at a time. And when grocery pickup became a thing, I did that. And then that transferred to even the more glorious <laughs> grocery delivery. And I did that as well. I, you know, I, I've talked to my daughter and other young moms about this. The $100 fee for Instacart or Walmart grocery delivery is well worth it for a year's worth of the option of having your groceries delivered to your door. Especially if you have, if you have little children around, you know how to get them oh. in and out of the car seat and in and out of the buggy and in and out of the, all of that is so hard. And what a great, um, shower gift. 
Yes. Hint, hint. Yes. For grandmas to give to their Shower younger gift, daughters. Christmas presents. Yeah. Stocking um, stuffer. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. It's, it is a great gift um, to do. So, and, and I found just shopping with my laptop in my lap on my sofa, I didn't do a ton of impulse buying. Oh, that's right. Cause you're not seeing it. Really. Cause I'm not walking through mm-hmm. the store seeing it. And so you can offset some of that hundred dollar annual fee that way. That's true. What did you do, Bonnie? Good point. Well, every grocery store trip, I would make sure I picked up the usual suspects so that, you know, you always have something on hand for a quick meal. Oh, that's interesting. Like, what would you get? Same old old kind of meal, maybe. And it's not the great surprise or gourmet, whatever, but at least somebody's eating, right? So you can just, (laughs) just make sure you have spaghetti and sauce and the basic kind of things on hand. Okay. I would have always, always have a can of black beans, shredded cheese, uh, rice, something to make something Mexican real quick. Right. An onion pasta, something like that. And then I like to make double. So if I could, you'd make one for now and freeze one for later. So the next time this would happen, inevitably, Mm -hmm. despite my Mm -hmm. best efforts, no problem. Yeah. Some of the things that freeze really, really well are things like, um, a homemade marinara sauce. Mm -hmm. Um, they're shepherd's pie. I've got a great shepherd's pie. Yeah. You just make the mashed potatoes a little more wet than you normally would so it doesn't dry out in the oven. And you got a one-dish go. meal, yeah. peas and carrots and potatoes and meat. We would do um, like a chicken broccoli casserole that freezes really well, mm-hmm. lasagna, any of that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Oh, that's so smart. I didn't do that as much because I loved the process of cooking. But the make-ahead meals across the board to the moms I talk to are are a lifesaver. Yep. So smart. And so smart to just make double when you're making it. Yeah. It doesn't really take that much extra time. Yeah. (laughs) It saves you on the back end so much. Really clever. So much. So the Harvard Health blog notes lots of benefits for eating at home. And we already know about uh, communicating with our families and how connection Mm -hmm. works. But people Mm -hmm. who prepare meals at home tend to consume lots more fruits and vegetables and Mm. less sugar and fat. They enjoy sitting together and conversing. And have reduced stress and higher life satisfaction. And those of you with two-year-olds might be like, yeah, (laughs) right. Who was in this survey? But it's true. Uh, There really is kids. It's good for your kids to do this. They say that kids who sit around the table with families for family dinners have higher self-esteem and better academic performance and will engage in less risky behaviors like drug drug use or they're less likely to have eating disorders. All this to me just stems from a sense of belonging. Right. A safety, a routine, Community. what we can expect. Mm-hmm. Everyone's interested in what you have to say. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. They're less, you know, the kids are less likely to be overweight. They're, they're more likely to be, you know, um, healthy and making good choices. It's just crazy to me. I know. All of the good factors. The French probably knows I <laughs> They probably have a bureau in the government. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> that studies and reports on this. <laughs> yes. Plebeian. Oui, oui. Yeah. And speaking of your kiddos, you're making great memories around the table. What are some of your favorite memories from your childhood? Okay. One of my favorites, and this gets a, a gasp from people usually, is a hot breakfast every morning. Mm. High five, Nancy Webb. You were feeding us. Yep like a variety of hot breakfasts before school in the morning. And we would eat those meals around the Formica table in the 70s. Oh, yeah. Then the glass table in the 80s. And with my granddaddy in the 90s after my grandmother's passing, they lived right behind us. So he was there for every dinner. 
We had lots of grilled meats. I can picture my dad by the grill. Lots of fried fish that granddaddy would catch when he would go fishing. Mom always had a dessert in our house. Um, Chocolate chip cookies were a staple, but there were also pies and things. I always thought that she inoculated us to sugar. I think that's exactly right. Like it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, I can because I can remember we did not have a lot of that. We had a ton of children, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. um, and when I went to my friends' houses and they had that, it was like bonanza. Yeah, yes, yeah. So I I just went the inoculation route with my own kids, and it seemed to work out. Yeah, good. Preventing preventing all that sugar. No sugar. No sugar. No sugar. Yeah, a little little thing in moderation is okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's not so forbidden. Mm-hmm. You don't really want it that much. Yeah, that's human nature. Well, we had the best conversations and laughter around our dinner table. I can remember, like, people, we would just cry with laughter. And I bet you did. Uh, well, stories, Your family stories are epic. Can we go glean them from <laughs> all the awesome. previous podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> and we, we lived in Florida for a lot of the time. So my grandfather ran this charter fisher bu- fishing business. And so we had tons of fresh seafood, shrimp, <sighs> even lobster when my dad would go to the islands. Wow. We would dig for clams and have those on the grill. And then at my grandparents' house, it was always something fresh and in season from the garden. The best southern fried chicken and butter that my grandmother whipped with buttermilk. We called it mamaw butter. Oh, I love that idea. It's really good. Really good. And then we always made chocolate chip cookies at my house um, in this bowl, green bowl, that my grandmother, great-grandmother had given us. And it was one she used and one... That they each got a set of after they got married. And oh. I don't think they know how to make cookies in any other bowl. Oh. They call it the cookie bowl. The cookie bowl. So, cool. I love that. I love that. So, yeah, I, I just I just think, man, what beautiful memories you're making when you eat with your friends and your family. Mm-hmm. And that leads me to this other topic, Bonnie. Manners. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's the deal. I, I was not taught table manners um, we were kind of, uh, my parents were kind of lax on that as much as we ate around the table I'm twice, a, twice a day. And in the summer, that would be three times a day. Um, no, they didn't teach us. Uh, and so I kind of felt a little bit adrift. You know, my friend Jana went to, what is it? Cotillion or right. whatever, where they teach you all this yeah. stuff. I felt like she was so far ahead of me. Um, so I, I like what Shiner has to say again from our Gospel Coalition article um, in the area of manners. He said, food and eating raise fundamental questions of what it means to be human. It's an activity we so obviously share with other animals, and yet it is simultaneously the point at which we differentiate ourselves from them. Hmm. So he says, look at our table manners, our dining aesthetics, our etiquette, our decorum, our desire to wait for each other and submit our animal instincts to the higher goods of conviviality, sociability, culture, and consider how we insult one another in terms of food. Don't wolf down your food. Don't eat like pigs. We tell children not to be like animals at the table. At the very point where we do what the animals are doing, we defensively assert how different we are from them. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting point. Except we were allowed to do that. Would that would make a great children's book i could just see the <laughs> illustrations in my head that'd be great we we were allowed to wolf down our food we were allowed to start before the others were i still to this day have to catch myself and not sneak a bite before the oh, prayer was said before everybody's seated before the hostess is yeah seated and all of the things right huh. yeah interesting 
we were not allowed to, we couldn't reach across. We had to, you know, pass it in a certain way. Oh no, we, we reached across. Couldn't do any of that. Oh no, ours was like the exact opposite. Rise up out of your seat and grab that salt and pepper you need across it. I mean, yeah. You you couldn't get down until you were, you know, excused from the table. There was no up and down from the table. None of that. When I married David and they're all passing in a particular order, you know, clockwise around the table, the bowls of food. I'm like, what is happening here? (laughs) (laughs) Give us some of them potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) So just out of curiosity, because um, from our day, Emily Post was the etiquette queen. She had a column in the newspaper. She had books that she published. So um, her daughter, I think, or, or grandchildren maybe, have taken over that empire. And you can just Google it, uh-huh. as we do, everything else. And so here um, is her list of table manners for your family with children. Number one is chew with your mouth closed. All right. I get that one. Yeah, There's sure. somebody in our family that does not do that, and it drives me up a wall. <laughs> they shall remain nameless. <laughs> yep. Oh, please keep your smartphone off the table. Yes. Um, or set to vibrate or not even in the room. Oh, and those Apple watches, I want to smack them off your wrist because your texts are coming through and you're glancing at them and it makes me rage with anger on the inside. Number three is hold your utensils correctly. Don't use your fork or spoon like a shovel to stab and like cram your food into your mouth. Right. It's like a Neanderthal is what I eating it. Out of curiosity, you might want to like look at videos of how the British hold their fork and knife and how we do. I think it's so interesting. It's it's turned upside down right. from how we yeah, hold yeah, it. Yeah. I noticed that at movies and stuff. I pick up on mm-hmm. things. Like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So wash up and come to the table clean, right? You're not brushing your hair at the table. You're not clipping your nails at the table. Oh, goodness or gracious. Or doing anything hygienic. We never way. did that. That was beyond. Yuck. Uh, it says remember to use your napkin. Again, I was not told to put it in my lap. We just left it on the table. So put the nap just put the napkin in your lap and you'll have it there. So yeah. Wait until you're done chewing to sip or swallow a drink. Okay. I think that one's kind of self explanatory, but I guess not. Maybe not. I, can see some, yeah, I, mean, I don't drink do when I eat. I drink at the end. Oh. David drinks throughout the whole yeah. meal. So if you do if you're like he is, you might need to pay attention to that if it matters to you. I liked number seven. It says pace yourself with fellow diners. Cut one piece of food at a time. And so interesting just to, to pace yourself with diners. Uh, one of my daughter's dance teachers from Indianapolis, Miss Pearl, we love you. She does a fitness challenge every year. And um, one of them was food focused. And one of the challenges for you, you add a, a new behavior every month, hoping that as you, we were saying the yeah, other day, 21 up. days, 30 days or so, you'll have a habit. Hers was to put your fork down in between everybody's food. Yeah, I've heard that. Do you know how hard that is? It is. But it's true. It's helpful. It helps you not eat as much. And it helps you Go pay attention to your body's fullness. And taste the food. And taste the food that somebody spent a long time making. Yeah. Yes. That one's a pet I like that one. Avoid slouching. Don't place your elbows on the table while eating. Again, I was allowed to do this. I mean, the elbows on the table thing. I don't yeah. know about slouching. Oh, I don't know that we... We were sitting up straight. We weren't sitting the, on our knees. It was the Wild West or... at the Web House. <laughs> I really can't picture that at can't, your house. That's I know. so funny. Isn't that funny? Huh. Really funny. And then instead of reaching across the table, ask for it to be passed. Again, we did not do that. Right. And then bring That's... your best self to the meal. Take part in dinner conversation. So it's not just about eat and run. You want to actually save some time to learn about the people that you're sitting with. Even if it's your own family, 
and talk about each other's day. And if you have trouble with this, you, there's table topic cards now that you can get that are really great conversation starters. Just, really good. Let's just say we're going to do three of them for this meal and you, get through it. You know, this is helpful just for social settings to have a half a dozen questions, good questions in your back pocket mm -hmm. to ask someone you don't know very well. Mm -hmm. um, it, it would be really helpful. We have another good childhood memory. Dad would quiz us on like our multiplication, addition, subtraction <laughs> as we were learning it when we were middle elementary. Yep. We did that, like those kind of games at the table a mm -hmm. lot. Translate that to adulthood. What's something new you've learned recently that you're, that's interesting? Yeah. Or what are you reading uh -huh. that you found interesting? A new idea that you've come across. That what did we do at dinner the other night, Bonnie? Um, what's a, one controversial idea? you really believe is true? Yeah. That was such a fun question. Just drop, boom, drop that in the middle of the group, see what happens. Yeah, maybe not with extended family. Yeah. That doesn't go so well. No, not Thanksgiving. <laughs> Only with people who love you and have a lot of grace for you. <laughs> Your crazy ideas. All right, let's talk about feasting and celebrating. Okay, so Shiner again says this, the Old Testament was full of feasting. There were several formal God-ordained feasts every year and tons of accounts of spontaneous feasts as the people come into good fortune and favor because it's associated with God's blessing, his forgiveness, and the abundance of his love, just as fasting is associated with sorrow, guilt, and atonement. Yeah, that's, that is another beautiful facet of food in scripture. In times of exile and judgment, he points out, feasting was not possible. Through the prophet Amos, God says, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. So exile is the time of judgment, and it's the end of feasting. Hmm. So salvation, though, in contrast, is pictured as a feast in the presence of God, where Isaiah says in 25.6, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. Yeah, and Jesus reinterprets this prophecy because they were getting it way wrong That's by the right. time he comes along um, in his great banquet parable. So, so much goodness in scripture about feasting. This is interesting to me because Shiner points out that other religious traditions really focus on restraint. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Christianity does too. There right. are restraints. Self-control. Yeah. yeah. But he says when Aristotle dreamt, he dreamt of reason and restraint. And the Buddha dreamed of the end of desire and the dissolution of personality. But when Israel dreamed their dreams, they were dreaming of rich food, of crowds and fine wines, of feasting with the Lord. The land of milk and honey. Abundance. Right. Joy. Yeah. I think this is interesting because from a Western perspective, which is where we're coming from, we tend to display wealth with homes and cars, and those things are visible from the road. So you can drive through certain neighborhoods without ever speaking to or interacting with the residents and know, oh, the people who live here are wealthy. It's very independent and set apart. But in the Middle East, by contrast, wealth is displayed by having great feasts with three times the amount of food needed to satisfy the guests. It's a communal experience and a display of status. I have all this bounty and I am able to share it with others. And I've invited you to share it with me. Ah, so good. I love the difference there. And uh -huh. I kind of prefer the Middle East one. Yeah. I mean, that's, what's, that's what all the scripture references we've been talking about are referring to. Yeah. Is this is how we do life. That's their perspective on it. It's feasting and fasting. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. So, okay, this is probably why you love to talk about gardening. Love to talk about gardening. Yeah. Love to garden. It's because of all the sharing. Yeah. You, you cannot plant a garden and not have stuff to share. 
Yeah, you just brought me tomatoes last week. Thank you so much. You don't even eat them. <laughs> I don't. I don't even like tomatoes. So godly of no, you. No, I just do it to give. But if you, even if you do the smallest of gardens, you're going to always have more than you need. I think gardens and the food that come from them are just made for sharing. You're always going to have way too tomato, too many tomatoes, way too much zucchini, way more sweet potatoes than you can ever eat. And if you even flowers, if you throw zinnia seeds out there. You're going to have so many that keep on blooming that you can give a bouquet to a friend or a neighbor. I love that. So beautiful. So, okay. So when we have people over, that's the beautiful theology and philosophy of it all. So let's get down to nuts and bolts here. We we do want to have something good to eat, you know. Mm-hmm. We don't want to just serve hot dogs. Unless you're having a cookout, I guess. Yeah, right. Um, but we're not also trying to show off with you know, a really great steak and the finest French dishes. The finery of the meal isn't the point. And we also don't want to be misers. Uh, We don't want to be miserly with our affection, our attention, our encouragement, or our belongings. We can be tight-fisted and small-hearted and jealous of our own space, our own peace, our own order, and our own routine. But when you invite people in, to your home, and you share a meal with them, you're giving part of yourself. You're actually... (laughs) You're actually showing them in the flesh the pictures that God gave us himself in scripture. It's so beautiful to me, which is why I love to cook for people. It's just, it just for me, something clicks inside. It just feels loving. It feels um, like the heart of God yeah, for it's people. Not a, it's not even really about the food. Right. It really isn't. It's about giving up. Your, all the things you mentioned, your time, your space, your routine, your order, inviting some other like random variable or some mm-hmm. random family with potentially mm-hmm. different ideas and different manners than you mm-hmm. to come in and share that space with you and share your belongings with you. I, and I just think that's so pretty. It's not just the food. You know, David has always been so good about setting the tones with the music in the background and being really careful how he chose it so you can talk over it, but it fills in those awkward pauses and gaps if it's somebody you don't know very well. Mm -hmm. And the lighting, you know, we love dimmers. We'll just lower the lights a little bit so you're not sitting under the surgical lights (laughs) at the dinner table, you know, little things like that that just make it welcoming. And you do this when you have children. You do it when you have children. Yep. You don't wait for it to only be just grown-ups. No, it teaches them our houses for others. Remember the food um the the food series we did the three of them and the French dinner party that um Lebion described where it was a dinner party till midnight yeah, and hours. children were invited. Uh-huh. <laughs> hours. They just go and go to sleep. They just fall room. asleep and the other, yeah, uh-huh. they had they had the little tables where they could sit at with their friends. Mm-hmm. And the dinner is over several hours. It's not just like we do where it sits down and all the food's right there, right at the very right one one time, all on the table at once. So, you know, they're able to get up and mill around and, and they try it. There's no kids' food. They try it all. Right. Well, you know, with us, it's, it's our culture, it's fast. Fast, fast, fast. Yeah. Make it fast. Eat it fast. <laughs> Have a fast conversation and zip out. But... That's not the way it is in other cultures, and it's especially the Middle East, which is what we're reading about in Scripture. Yeah. Very slow, very measured, plenty of time. I probably need to start at four, though, right, Bonnie? Right. (laughs) Bedtime. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jesus came eating and drinking, but he didn't do so in a vacuum. As we've talked about, feasting meant favor. It meant the forgiveness 
of God. And as we mentioned before, the problem with Jesus was who he feasted with. They said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And eating is an act of fellowship, as we said. The root of the word companion comes from the Latin, meaning literally to break bread together. A companion is one with whom you break bread. That's what Jesus was doing with sinners. Yeah. And and so that has, since we've been preparing this this last episode, that's been really rattling around in my head because I it, I invite people from acquaintances to good friends over. Mm-hmm. I don't really invite strangers over or people who are very different from me. And I think that's probably the next level, whether it's like my neighbor down the street who I don't really know anything about mm-hmm. or, you know, whoever in my circle um, that happens to enter my circle. I don't know. I just, I think that is because you are already well situated. Um, and me too. I'm not just saying you, but for those of us who are well situated, who live in a town with family, who, you know, have lived here forever and already have our circle of friends, that's comfortable and easy to do. I know, um, my brother, for example, has moved quite frequently and, it is not unusual within a matter of two or three months, I'll talk to him and he'll be new to an area and he'll say, yeah, hey, we just had all the neighbors over last night and I cooked them this big thing of, of etouffee or whatever it is. And that's how they get to know their neighbors. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, come meet us. Come, let's come talk and join. And then, and then they're sharing Thanksgiving, you know? Yeah. Not even <laughs> six months later, they're having major holidays together. So because they have no family there, they have... They had no one. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of up to, that was who their people were going to be. It's just whoever was around. And that's how Rosaria Butterfield came to know Jesus. Yep. Was around a dinner table with uh, the pastor and his wife every week for, I think, two years. Yeah. They had dinner together and became friends. And she got curious about God and and they got to know each other and appreciate each other mm-hmm. instead of, you know, screaming at each other over social media or back in the day letters, you know, she was getting hate mail. Hate mail. Right. Right. Yeah. So that brings us to hospitality, how to host well. Um, There's just a few things. I think that word intimidates people, but it's just, if you just put a little bit of forethought into what hospitality is and the few um, things you can do in your home to make it really welcoming for people, you'll just find like, wow, Here's how you know if you've done it right. They don't leave. (laughs) Yeah. Like you're ready for them to leave. Right. And they're not leaving. Uh Uh-huh. It's welcoming. I mean, the the word is hospital, right? It's where you care for others who are broken or sick. Hospitality. Yes. That's interesting. And uh, one article I read said it's helpful to think of hotels and restaurants as a starting point for understanding this because you don't know anybody there. And they welcome you in, they serve you, they attend to your needs, they give you a room full of amenities to enjoy, a bed to rest in overnight. It, it really is true. Yeah. The attention to detail, the more attention to detail, right, the higher the stars. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Four out of five on Yelp. Yeah. That, yeah, that's totally right. Um, well, Peter writes that we should offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I think that's, that's, I'm trying to think of a time when I would ask for hospitality with grumbling and maybe it's because somebody unexpected decides to drop in. 
or I'm thinking um, I, I've got things I want to do with my time. Yeah. And it's going to take my time to, I mean, I know we, you know, that we love to have people here. Yeah. Okay. We, we do enjoy it. So please don't hear me say, I don't like to have people here, but I have had moments where I'm like, okay, that means I have to wash the sheets before they come. Uh-huh. And then I have to wash the sheets after they come and the towels and you know, the room's got to get straightened back up again. And I have to fix food and I want to be hospitable. Right. So I need to find out, do they have food allergies? Do they have food dislikes? And we're going to have to, I want to bend. We need to bend mm-hmm. to, to what would they would enjoy. And there's all these things that you take up time. You got to think of. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I could do, I've done it with grumbling. Especially when that happens several times in a row and I don't have a break. I, just to be flat out honest, I'm just going to say it. I think I'm fine with whoever dropping in for whatever reason. And, you know, I, I can accommodate. What's what's ours is yours pretty much across the board. But don't bring your animals. Mm. Ask me before you bring your animals. Because I have animals too. Yeah. Or, you know, and that they don't always interact well together. Um you have a little menagerie, and actually. Just to presume. It's your little farm. Yeah. Not everyone's animals are your animals. Yeah, I do. And that's another thing with hospitality. I assume people are not dog people. I don't expect them to like my dog. So I also try to, like, mm. keep her out of their laps. And and I'll, I don't want her to jump on them and sit beside them and right. just kind of read their body language and see if they lean into her or not. So yep. it, it's, it's just a lot of, yeah, a lot of different... It's a lot of different things. And God is hospitable to us. You know, he, mm-hmm. he is, he's welcomed us. He's preparing a home for us. And ho- while hospitality is a spiritual gift, I do think we're all called to be hospitable in degrees. You know, um, again, it's that love thing. If you don't love doing it, that's a beautiful sacrifice. That's right. right. And if you do love doing it, well, just lean right in there and, and do, do it as much as you your little joyful heart can take, you know? <laughs> That's right. Um, and we don't need to just look at each other and go, well, I'm discouraged because she's a better host or she loves, she does it more. Or she, please don't oh, do gosh. that. No, 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 no. We're just trying to, do we're trying you, to brainstorm here and yeah. give you great ideas do what you can do. to have more joy. I ran across this uh, woman, Rachel Jankovic, and she was saying, I thought was interesting, that gratitude is the foundation of all Christian hospitality. So before you start learning to cook for a crowd or all those manners we were talking about, Seth, how do you set the table? How much extra seating do I need or whatever? The first thing that needs to happen is gratitude because we've already been given these gifts of shelter, however humble your house is, and food, however simple it's going to be, even a hot dog. We've been given gifts of water, gift of taste, the gift of hunger, which I love. So how can we glorify God with our stove? And just kind of give some of that back. I love that phrase. Glorify God with your stove. (laughs) Mm, That's great. So she suggests to add an extra measure of gratitude to your prayers before your meals as you talk about how your food got to your table. What had to happen for that farmer to grow those beans? How did they get to the store? How did that pineapple get all the way from Hawaii to the grocery store shelves? How many bees had to pollinate the strawberries? Who picked the apples off the trees? Mm Mm-hmm. How many bees did have to pollinate the strawberries, Bonnie? A lot? Uh, yeah, a ton of them. Wow. Yeah, a ton of them. Thousands. So I, th- I found it very interesting that um, God makes us all hungry. That babies 
are born with this basic suckle reflex to find food. So it's no accident that he made hunger a metaphor for spiritual satisfaction and why he tells us to feast on the word, right? Mm-hmm. It's why fasting is a spiritual discipline. And with every meal, God gives us that chance to live out his kindness to us and reflect his love to those at our tables. I think that's just such a beautiful, so good. with every daily bread, he reminds us who and whose we are. Yes. So that time that we spend preparing food for our families and our friends and our kids' friends and our neighbors means our prayer for daily bread has been answered. Viewed this way, the opportunity to cook is an answer to prayer. Yeah. Which makes it even more beautiful. Uh-huh. That's really neat. Um, I did the math earlier. And if you say like from age, I don't know, one to 18, you're say three meals a day, but you know, let's say, okay, we're going to go out for some, even if you are conservative, that's over 18,000 meals in the lifetime of your child. Never mind before you had children and you were married with no children, somewhere around 18 to 20,000 meals in a lifetime. That's a lot. Yeah. So we are actually feeding the 5,000. We are like, (laughs) yes. So she says, that every meal we put on the table is this small picture, a small reflection of feeding the 5,000. But yeah, it really is. It, and I know when you're standing in front of the refrigerator at five o'clock wondering, okay, I've got an onion, half a red pepper and some frozen solid chicken breast. What am I going to do with this? Does that not sound like the disciples coming to say, yeah. uh, we have five loaves and three fishes. Yes. What up with this? We got yeah. 5,000 people out there. <laughs> Yes. So, oh, when you look at it that way, those of us who cook meals at home are miracle workers, or at least participating with God's miracle, aren't we? Mm -hmm. We display our love with God's bounty and look at what happens. Mac and cheese. (laughs) (laughs) I used to, um, I used to, I'm just remembering this. I think I've said this in our previous food podcast. I used to pray over my grocery list before I'd go in Hmm. and to the grocery store and um, ask that God would enable us to get what we needed in our budgeted amount of money. And that was kind of a fun adventure with God. And when money wasn't quite so uh, scarce, those were the early years of Mm -hmm. marriage, um, when I learned that, hey, wait, apples are expensive. Potato chips aren't. Like, what's going on Uh, here, you know? Um, Those were the early years of our marriage. And then you, you know, I don't have to do that now. I can just get whatever I'd like at Sprouts or Publix or Aldi. And, um, and you, I've lost that little conscious connection mm, with God, yeah. mm-hmm, the reliance on him. And so, um, that is why my friends that fasting is a beautiful discipline because, um, you are putting boundaries on something that likely has very few boundaries mm-hmm. in your life mm-hmm. day in and day out because of the blessing of living where we do. Yeah. It's good for you. And it's good for you, right? That's what they say now. It is good. Oh, yeah. Intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting. It's good for your body. <laughs> good for your spirit. That's right. <laughs> I love this episode. Oh, it was so good. Yeah. And I'm. It'll. it's a good one to close out our home series on, I think. Yeah. Just go find somebody to invite over for dinner. Mm-hmm. I love it. Somebody over there. Well, we're going to have all this uh, information on our website at justaskyourmom.com. Please connect with us on Facebook and Instagram and take five seconds to rate and review the podcast. And please share us with your friends and family. And we need some topic suggestions, moms. We're two and a half years in. Send us um, your ideas to justaskyourmompodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on Just, Just Ask, Ask Your Mom. Mom.